There's currently an emergency siren playing outside. It kind of sounds like music. It's sort of special. I think it's every, yeah, the first Saturday of each month, so that fits. I don't know if you can hear it, but wow. I love a good siren. I enjoy anything that sounds like there's something more than me going on. Okay, it's done. What's it all been for? He said. Well, he replied. So you could ask me just that. I'm going to read the beginning of a short story that I just wrote. I'd never been to this house before. It was too dark outside to know its color, not that that's important. People inside were ugly and didn't seem to know what they were doing, and neither did I. But she was in the kitchen. She had red hair. I knew it was natural, I knew it was soft. I was drinking red wine. I was a big fan of red at the moment. I leaned next to her against the microwave. I said, I'm going to marry you. I said it in the joking way, like how husbands tell the stories of meeting their wives, and they say, when I first saw her, I said to my friend, I'm going to marry that girl someday. So I said it to her and then said, I'm cutting out the middleman and just telling you now so you know. She said, why do you romanticize everything? I said, you like me or you like men or you like people? She said yes to all three. I said, how do you know I romanticize everything? I isn't me. She said, because you just told me you were going to marry me. I said, well, aren't I? She said, I don't know. Probably not. I said, yeah, but if I was right, that'd be pretty crazy, right? She laughed. Her eyes were green, obscene green. I asked her to oppose romanticizing. She said, well, it's dangerous and could come off as tacky and forward. I said, did it? She said, well, it could. I said, what happens without romanticizing? She was silent. I took a drink. She smelled of strawberries, strawberry candy in particular, not actual strawberries. Actual strawberries don't smell too much like strawberries. She said, I'm going to kill you. I said, hmm? She said, I'm opposing romanticizing. I'm de-romanticizing you and this party and us. That stove is going to explode and that fridge will fall on that couple and the floor will be stickied with artificially green spirits. And I said, your eyes are artificially green spirits. And she said my lips were by far the least appealing lips or body part for that matter on any person she'd ever had the displeasure of seeing. I said, you're the best person who's ever lived. And she said, are you ready to die yet? And I said, can the marriage still happen? Then she kissed me, and I died on the spot. That's the first part of a three-part story, and I don't know how I feel about it. Um, I like reading it better than than speaking it. Um, yeah, I'll probably read the other two parts in the oncoming episodes. So my guest today is uh, Professor Allison Stone from... Lancaster University in the UK, and she is such a sweet, kind, thoughtful, genuine soul. And we discussed an article that she wrote, which posits the question, why don't we think about birth as much as we think about death? And uh, this led to a very interesting discussion about time and our perception of it, and a lot of other things. And I'm really, really grateful to have gotten to speak with her. Um, I hope you enjoy too, and I hope you enjoy life and i hope you love right now for the sake of loving and nothing else 
Here's my chat with Allison Stone. So tell me a bit about your article and how you feel about it. I'm very curious to pick your mind. Oh, the article. Well, I so I wrote that article for the conversation basically because I've just finished writing a book about being born. Um, oh, really? Yes. Yeah. So I just wanted to make people aware of some of the main things I've said in the book. The book okay. Yet, but it, it will be out. October or so. Oh, great. Can you tell me a little bit about like what the book speaks okay. on more specifically? Yeah, sure. So the book's called Being Born, Birth and Philosophy. And it, it expands uh, a lot on things <laughs> that said in that piece in the conversation. So I start with the same thought that philosophers have said a great deal about the fact mm -hmm. that we die, our mortality, and various questions about death, whether immortality would be good, and whether we should be pursuing immortality or not, or whether there are better or worse ways to die, whether death mm -hmm. is bad. But by comparison, very, very little has been said about birth. And yet, we are finite in both directions. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in saying this, I should say that I, I'm not really the first person to make this point. <laughs> philosophy has neglected birth. <laughs> so I mentioned in the piece in the conversation that two people who've, who've made the same point really mm -hmm. are two feminist philosophers, Lucy Rigorai and Adriana Cavarero. So yes. I'm inspired by them, really. Um, they think that birth has been neglected as part of the neglect within much philosophy historically of the body and for them, the the debts that we have to our mothers who've given birth to all of us and it's partly in that way that that they're feminist philosophers because of right i can see that yeah yeah um and um there's other work in feminist philosophy as well that i'm influenced by so in the ethics of care as it's known where there's a, a philosopher called Eva Kitte, for instance, who works in the ethics of care, and she points out that we're dependent on others and their care, first and foremost. And mm -hmm. we start off in a condition of dependency and as babies, and we gradually become more independent most of us as we adults but we're never completely independent and generally of course as we go into old age we become more dependent again so yeah that's so yeah why do you think that is is it just like 
there's this thing in us that consistently pushes us to grow. And so maybe we take for granted birth because we see it as like an inferior version of ourselves. Like yeah, maybe something yeah. along those lines. Yeah, I think that is surely part of it that we like to think of ourselves as being independent and in control of our own lives. And of course, if we acknowledge that we were born and we began as babies and little children and we remain children for a long time, really, quite a significant proportion of our lives. So it does mm-hmm. undermine the image we like to have of ourselves as being sovereign agents <laughs> during the course of our own lives. Yeah, and it's uh, it's so strange to know that like some of the most important formative times of our lives we have no recollection of it all and i've just been thinking like what if that was how life was like at present sometimes like something happened yesterday that was like completely changed your mindset and you wake up the next day and you still have that change but you completely forgot like what that thing was i guess it's such a foreign a foreign a foreign idea and it's another version of not really arrogance but like we like to think that we have a collection of like the most important memories and we like to be able to point to things and say like that was a turning point in my life and so i think it's really just scary to know that like all of those important things when we were younger are just lost <laughs> to an extent yes yeah i mean of course we do know things about our early lives usually that other mm-hmm. people told us about and right right often fabricate memories almost to go with the things that other people have told us that it's as if we remember having actually experienced yeah how bizarre is that Mm -hmm. Mm. (laughs) like i'll see pictures of myself as a child and hear things and it doesn't even feel like it was me like i have no like last week i'll go to the store and i'll remember being at the store and see it in my head but like as a child i have no actual like palpable memory and i know there are some people that can remember very very young and I've never had that at all. So I find those people to be interesting because I'm mm. curious like how their brains differ. But there will be friends of mine who will say like, yeah, I remember what it was like when I was like two years old. I have a very, very small, distinct memory of like the smell or like this part of my house or my like siblings yeah. being born is a yeah. frequent one. And I have yeah. none of that <laughs> like eight or like there's maybe a few here and there. Like I vaguely remember being at this place. But that's because I've seen tons of pictures of it as I've gotten older. Yeah. And so then it's like, how much of it have, have I just built and how much of it actually happened, yeah. I guess. And that's just a really weird area <laughs> to be in. I mean, I must say that I'm always a bit doubtful when people say they can remember things from very early. Yeah, yeah. But lots of people do. It's true. And I suppose that... I'm, I'm, I can think that they may have quite partial or fragmentary memories and almost just a sense of having, say, been in a certain place, but without really having much of a fleshed out memory that, that they could articulate or, or say anything more about. But it's, it's partly because Amongst psychologists is the idea that there are different kinds of memory and Mm -hmm. 
we acquire these different kinds of memory in stages over our first 10 years of life, really. So um, gradually it becomes more and more verbal and we become able to narrate episodes and then put them into a broader narrative in relation to one another so that we gradually come to develop what what would be called autobiographical memory but the very early memories that we form wouldn't have any of that yeah so, that makes sense yeah. to me yeah because it's like now i'm reflecting and have the ability like we have the ability to sit here and talk about the possibility of our memories and when it started whereas when you're four or five you're not sitting there thinking man i, I need to remember this for later how am i going to formulate this and I've been very, very interested in the idea of language having a huge part of it because like your language develops so, so much as you get older and the more, the better your language is, the more easy, easily you can formulate like your memories. And yeah. so like, there's that period of time where I guess it's a question that I'm curious how you feel about, um, like, can we not form memories that early because the, the language isn't completely developed to do it? Or do you think there's like the people who say they can remember things so early, is there still something visually that like takes a snapshot in our head that stays regardless of the ability to put it into language? My own belief would be that, at least for some people, that there is something that they do remember, something maybe in purely sensory terms, even though at that time they didn't, have language certainly not fully and so they couldn't at the time st store and lay down the memory in a linguistic form mm -hmm. but I do think there are other forms of memory so I take it that when we are acting habitually say if you've learned to play a musical instrument and you do it as second nature um, unthinking that you don't have to consciously reflect <laughs> on what you're doing right, yeah. and just do it. And that that's a kind of memory. Yeah, but, like muscle memories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So that there are such different types of, of memory. That's the thing. And so some of them can be more in place earlier on before we have language. But It makes, no, it makes me wonder if... Like, it's just like the paradigm that we set up for ourselves, but it's like you you take what you had as a child and you turn that into like the most flourishing life you possibly can with all of those different variables in order to be the best you can before you die. And like, that's the story. And that's what it looks like. And like the birth of scene is the beginning. And it's just strange, like, like to talk about it, it seems like we're flawed in a way to be able to like to not be able to recall such important things. But then I wonder like if we could recall those things, wouldn't that like actually change us pretty heavily? Like to, to be able to say, like if you knew, if you could see very vividly when you learned what love was like at its very root, like wouldn't that be kind of scary? Like to be able to see that. And uh, somebody was asking me about this. There's been certain experiments done uh, probably with rats to test whether because I think they also have have something analogous to this infantile 
amnesia, this inability mm -hmm. we have to remember our earliest years. And I think people have tried to explore whether there's any possibility of us enhancing ourselves cognitively so that we would be able to remember everything, right. sorts of ways that you describe. But and I what's think, so, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that for me, what, what's, what's puzzling about that is that we are, we are always going to develop our cognitive abilities in stages, it seems to me, just because we do, when we're born, we're so immature and unformed. And it takes a long time and a lot of process to develop our cognitive abilities. But then it seems to me that we would be bound to lose access to a lot of what we experienced when we didn't have the same cognitive abilities that we come to have after the age of around eight or so. Mm -hmm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And what's puzzling about that is um, I know there's this part in our brain, I think it's the amygdala maybe, that's the part that controls like emotion. Yeah. And that part of our brains is, is really quite mature in infancy. Yeah. Like quite mature. So yeah. why, is, why is that the case that like the emotional part can start to form like so quick, but the memory is just like, all right, I'll, I'll catch up with you later. Like it, it takes a minute. That's that's really weird to think about, like, because then you start to get the idea of like, well, who put that together? Like, you know, it, it it lends itself to so many other questions. I think that does point to the fact that I would say we do begin to lay down emotional memories of a kind very early on. So if the people that are meant to be looking after us are treating us cruelly, say, we will very early on begin to form certain emotional reactions based on that. And um, on the other hand, if, according to attachment theory, if your parent is having a secure, comfortable, caring relationship with you. I don't necessarily want to completely endorse this idea, but roughly, if they're relating to you in a secure and comfortable way, then you'll form a fairly secure and easy set of emotional right. dispositions towards them. And so those are a kind of memory, because whenever you have certain emotions, you're... In doing so, you're remembering the way people have been treating you and then responding mm -hmm. in a way that reflects that. So yes. I would see already a kind of memory. Yeah, like but, if you're not held as an infant, mm. you're not going to remember not being held specifically. You're not going to remember sitting there being like, hey, mom, why aren't you holding me? But you will, like there are studies that show people emotionally are different if they're simply not held or hugged yeah, like when they're at very very young and that's yeah. that's so interesting like our at that point our like it's got to be in our brain of course but like there's something deeper there that our entire being is just taking in and is like accepting as what's like what how to act in the future yeah. but we're not actively thinking on it but it's and really I, interesting to me and quite reassuring that you think there's something scary about 
knowing that all these things happen to us and have been really formative for us, but which we can't remember. Because I think that's quite scary as well. And so, yeah, it reassures me to think that someone else also finds <laughs> so. Because yeah, it's like... I think, oh, well, yeah, I can't remember any of it. Who cares? <laughs> Then again, they might not be a philosopher, but still. <laughs> yeah, it's like like when you go, like if you've ever been in surgery, when they put you out and it's just gone. And then when you wake up, you'll have all the people that were there telling you like, yeah, you were doing this. You were saying this, like this is how you were acting. If you weren't like completely passed out and you just like it's like blacking out. You have no, there's nothing there. You can't pull the files out and remember them. But they told you what happened. Yeah. Man, yeah. it's weird. I was like looking up some things about uh, children, like remembering like past lives because I got to thinking and that blows me away. Like, have you heard of, um, I think his name was Ryan. It's this little boy who remembered being a film star. Uh He was like, I don't know, six or five or four. He's very young and he like had nightmares, reoccurring nightmares of telling his mom that his heart exploded in Hollywood and she's like, okay, (laughs) like that's strange. And then like, he wouldn't let it go and he kept talking about it. And then they were like, uh, he kept saying he worked in Hollywood and then he did movies. And then they saw this still from this movie in the thirties. And he was like, mom, that's George. I did a picture with that guy. And she like sent the still to a film archivist and the guy's name was George. And then they found the name of the extra because he pointed to himself also. And his name was Martin. And then they went and found Martin's daughter and visited his daughter. And all of these things that the kid was remembering, like the kid would say he was a Broadway dancer. And Martin's daughter was like, yep, he he was a dancer in New York. And he would say uh, like he remembered that his address had the word rocks in it. And his address was like Roxbury or something. Mm. And it's uh, like that's so bizarre because either the parent is in cahoots and is making this up for the kid or planting something into it, or there's something very, very weird (laughs) going on there. Like, I don't think kids and like two year olds who will recall wars, like you can chalk it up to like, Oh, the people around them are just discussing it or like the media around them. And it's very possible that like the story I just told you was just completely fabricated, but yeah, also, I remember looking into these things about people saying that they remembered past lives, and it did seem to be that there was pretty much nothing that wasn't questioned by someone. So all of these cases where children seem to remember all these things from longer ago, there always seemed to be a, a counter version of it, exactly along the lines that you've just mentioned, where... Yeah, I- it turned out actually the parents had in some way been planting these ideas in their minds or there was something else around them in their environment that had set off these thoughts. So um, it's not clear to me that there are really any instances of, of children remembering their past lives that we can simply rely upon. Right. But that's not. And there's a doctor. uh, There's a doctor who did a book on it, and I think it was over like 2,500 cases. Mm. And I would love to read it. And like, because I'm such a skeptic, like, 
I'm a skeptic of everything, of course, because, you know, relativism and whatever. But like things like that, it's so hard to actually tell yourself like that that could be true because obviously you're like, no. But like, what if what if I have a child and that kid does that? And I know for a fact the media around him hasn't had anything for her. And I haven't discussed these things like I don't know how I'd react <laughs> like that would completely change your perspective on things. And that this kind of like it's a little little off topic of what we were discussing, but it's still interesting to think about memory in that way, because that raises very far off topic, really, because it's hard to think about birth without wondering about whether every birth is a rebirth, because in a way, actually, one of the main places where people have somewhat thought about birth is when they've been thinking about it as rebirth. So Mm -hmm. I do think it it's on topic. Um, and I don't want to rule out the possibility either that that we may go through cycles of rebirth. So even if the particular cases of children having these memories aren't, even if none of them are reliable, right. um, it doesn't seem to me that that would be sufficient to rule out the possibility that we undergo cycles of rebirth because it just might be a feature of that happening that we can't remember mm-hmm. anything about the past lives I even so I, i'm sorry go ahead i was just going to say that i do think though that there are other strange things here where i think sometimes we seem to be able to inherit memories from the generations before us. So in some cases you can talk about how if somebody's grandparents say had a traumatic experience, something of that gets Mm -hmm. transmitted to their children and then it can be transmitted on to their children and so on. So that I mean that's not really the kind of thing that you were talking about. But I do think there are ways it can be passed down through families even without anyone intending to do so, even if nobody ever sits a child down and sets out to tell them the story of some particular past events that happened because of these other, partly the fact that we have these emotional memories and habit memories and these other non-verbal and non-narrative forms of memory that we can pass things on to people in that way without ever having to tell them any narratives necessarily about what happened to their grandparents or great-grandparents. Yes. And it all stems to, like, us just being, like, whatever is in us that drives us to remember or drives us to want to know stories. Like, I can look at a stranger and they'll have a certain look on their face and I'll, like, apply a story to them. Like, oh, man, maybe... Like maybe someone left them today or, you know, maybe they just like something happened with their job, like something like that. And it's like, what is it in me that drives me to apply a story or apply a memory to someone that I don't even know? Like, just what is that thing? You know, it's weird. Like if nobody wanted to remember anything or if that thing in us to not remember, like time would just be completely different. Time wouldn't be. We would just be living moment to moment to moment. And I've been really in tune with the idea of. Um, like the idea of the self being something that's elongated because I've actually been reading about uh, like personhood of like chimpanzees 
and a lot of the tests they do are seeing if chimpanzees have this idea that the the thing they are right now is going to be the same entity down the road. And so they do like the marshmallow test where they'll have a tube with M&Ms and if the the cap is on the M&M tube, more M&Ms fill up. And then if they take the cap off, the M&Ms come out and the M&Ms stop coming out. And in tests, they've shown that chimpanzees will keep the tube on or they'll keep the cap on knowing that more M&Ms will be there if they wait. So that shows that like they have that idea of the elongated version of the self. And that's super, super interesting to think about because if we didn't have that, like we wouldn't be able to have any idea of growth or regression or like relationships. And it's the same thing with, um, like the idea of love, the idea that like to really love someone is to love every moment that you're in with them, like as it happens, rather than loving what they did yesterday or loving this idea of them that you've accrued over time. Like pure, true love is just the immediate, consistent appreciation of like that moment. And yeah, I don't sure. know, I've been trying to take advantage of that lately. Yeah, I would say more. And something that you yourself said a moment ago that that would seem to to go in the opposite direction is the thought that the any present moment it only really has duration because you've got memories of the past, even if only of the fairly immediate past, prolong mm-hmm. themselves into it. So the thought would be that. You've only got experience that has any duration because of the um, retention of something from the past and also the anticipation of what may be coming in the future. And if you, So if you only had a present on its own, somehow separated from any past and any future, it wouldn't really... It wouldn't be the present that we experience. No, you, you couldn't be aware of it. It would just be aimless, confusing yeah. shapes and, yeah. No, I mean, not even that, really. I would say it would just sort of shrink to yeah, yeah a, a, a tiny point, um, sort of too, too thin to contain anything. So I suppose with these ideas about being in the pure present moment, um, I'm a bit doubtful. It's not that I want to completely reject that idea because mm-hmm. I do think it's it's a useful contrast to the mode in which we often go about things where we're just For sure. and, yeah. uh, so caught up in, in worrying about things that may happen in the future that we don't notice what's happening in the present. But I also think that the present can't really be there without a past and a future. And there's so many layers to it. Like, to the the way I discovered this was through uh, Krishnamurti and his discussion uh, in the book Freedom from the Known, where he talks about this specifically about how we waste so much of our time either dreading the past or dreading the future. And even so, like you said, it's a very thoughtful contrast to the way we live but even talking about it that way you're still accepting that there is some sort of time and so you can't really like nitpick like 
I think I think there's a lot of value in thinking like I need to live in this moment right now and not allow in a broader sense, not allow the past or the future to like really, really change what I'm doing right now. Like if I get the desire to go talk to someone, I don't want to let my anxieties from the past or my doubts of the future stop me from doing that in that moment. And something like that is very important. But yeah, you make a very good point that like even so you're still like you still have to have time. You have to have time to like because like you said, if 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 we were living in just the present, truly, it wouldn't be the present. Like it wouldn't be anything. It would just be we couldn't even discuss it. We can't even talk about it. So there has to be some concept. And so I guess a lot of it's just like accepting that there is a past and future and just not not attaching ourselves to it so much, maybe. I don't know. It's definitely it's definitely an interesting thing to discuss and definitely has changed the way that I treat time mm-hmm. in the present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to bring it back to, to being born as well, I think that being born has a particular connection with the past and conversely, um, our mortality has a connection with the future because as long as we're still alive, we're relating to our death as something that's going to happen to us in the future. Um, On the other hand, being born is something that's already happened. So it's always past for us. And um, what was I going to say that was related to that? I was going to say, (laughs) on the other hand, I think that we would tend to relate to the births of other people especially if they're a younger generation than us we relate to them as having a particular connection with the future as well and thinking Mm. that way that when a new baby is born their family will often have this intense feeling of hope and this sense that there are these future possibilities possibilities of things getting better and that um, in some way the new baby seems to really embody that sense of hope for future possibilities. That's beautiful. Yeah. Like we need that. We need something like that. <laughs> yes. Yes, we do. Um, I mean, obviously it's it's fragile and mm-hmm. things can be become so bad that... Uh, the births of babies cease to have that sort of significance at all, really. I mean, if perhaps the opposite, <laughs> not a new baby can regenerate any hope. But um, yeah, I still think there's there's a kind of tendency for it to seem a hopeful thing when a new baby is born. For sure, I'm just sitting here thinking now. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh, man. So do you have any particular memories from very early age? Oh. Well, what started to happen to me after I'd had my daughter was that I I did... I wouldn't say I began to remember things that I haven't been able to remember before about my young childhood but it was more that I felt very connected with my early childhood even though 
I could remember hardly anything about it, really hardly anything. Mm. In a way, it gave me more of a sense of the things that I'd lived through, even though I wasn't able to remember them, and yet knowing that they were nonetheless there, and sort of feeling connected to them emotionally, but without being able to actually remember much more about them. Mm-hmm. So I think it shouldn't be something as well that we, even if we can't remember specific things from our earliest years, we can still have a sense of having been there and be aware of what we can't remember. We can still have a sense of having been there at it. So it's sort of remembering that there is something that we can't remember. But that's still different to just being completely indifferent to it and never giving the matter any thought at all. Hmm. You see what I, yeah, yeah. I think it's um I think it's just the idea that we like to tell ourselves that there's a story there. Like there's there was I was there in that time. Like that's on my track record. That's stuff I did. And then with the future it's this is what I'm going to do. And at the end of it all, I'll be able to look back and all of that stuff will have made sense like every bit of the way. So I guess it's just a constant struggle of like trying to make a good future, make a good now, and then also using the now and future to remember the past in a positive reflection. That's what I'm that's what I'm taking from this. That you, you, yeah. So I suppose for you some sense of continuity psychological continuity or mm-hmm. that seems very important because I would say that that thought about wanting to sort of put myself on a path that leads to a good future from which I will look back at where I have been and what has led me there that's all um that that's quite alien to me I wouldn't say really? such a strong sense of of continuity. I mean, I don't know if you know that that this literature that there's been recently about transformative experiences. Have you come across this? Uh, Not really, no. So this is the thought, for instance, that when, suppose you are um, trying to decide about whether to have a child. Having a child, however, will so fundamentally change the person you are that any judgments you might try to make beforehand about whether it will be good or bad for you or anything um, aren't really, um, they're not really going to retain necessarily, at least they're not necessarily going to retain any um, any truth once you've had a child because you will have become somebody else and your values right. may have changed. The things that would have seemed important to you before were no longer important to you anyway. Um, and I think generally um, that that's the way I tend to think about my life, so that I assume I'm going to change quite significantly over time, so that I can't regard it all as having such a level of continuity of character as I think you're talking about. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I definitely follow. And that that applies to my thought process of late of the idea that, that to learn more, a part of you has to die. Like, 
which is kind of scary because if I'm thinking in continuity like I am, to want to know more and understand the world more, you have to also let go of that past version of yourself that just thought completely differently. And so I guess it's just a strange sort of like admiration of innocence at some times or yeah, I don't know. The continuity yeah. is interesting to think about. Yeah. Um, I mean, what I would also say though is that although yeah, there are parts of us that we have to leave behind at different times, we always are carrying certain things forwards as mm -hmm. well. I may seem to be going back on what I've just said here, but I do think <laughs> that there are always ways that whoever we come to be, there's a pathway from where we were to which, which is along that path. It's along that pathway that we've become whoever we may now be. So, um, so I suppose that that is a kind of continuity, but um, I think of it maybe more as a, a continuity in terms of the causal history of how we become over time the, the various ways that we are, rather than maybe a continuity on the level of um, being able to, to rationally plan how our lives are going to go. Mm -hmm. I follow you. I've got a lot to think about today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's interesting because it feels so nice to talk about these things, but it never gets clearer. <laughs> no, no, of course. It only does the opposite. It makes it more complex. But I don't know. I appreciate that. I, li I like. I like being able to say that it's not easy to pin down because then it wouldn't be any fun. Yeah. So. I mean, I feel like some of the things that we've talked today are things that in much academic philosophy are fairly illegitimate, really. Yeah, yeah. Yes, absolutely. Sort of things to do with whether can, people can remember their past lives and whether they're, whether mm -hmm. they're reborn. And um, it's, it's a shame because people find these questions really fascinating and yet much of academic philosophy... Um, doesn't want to have anything to do with them. So that's a bit of a shame, really. It is. Well, as long as we're having discussions like this, yeah. we're on the right track. Yeah. See, and I'm scared because I'm only 19, so mm -hmm. if we have the same discussion <laughs> 15, 20 years from now, it's going to be just... It's exactly what you said. It's going to be completely different. Yes, it's true. It's true. No, that's also it's... scary. Yeah. Is it... Is it scary? What's scary about it? The thought. I guess not scary in the traditional sense that it's a negative scary. It's just, um, I guess, unknown is a better word. It's yeah. it's very interesting to picture myself. I mean, I, I guess I can relate it to like writing. Like, I'm a writer and I'll write something and I'll think it's good. Uh, okay. In, in the you idea. Writer. Hmm. Do you mean creative writing? Yeah, more so than yeah. anything else. Yeah. And the idea that I'm going to write a story that's far better than the one I'm writing now is that same sensation of like, that's weird because you just don't know anything about it. And it, I don't know, it feels like a very small 
amount of betrayal, I guess, like to focus so much on the future because then I'm not giving myself now the time. Like if I'm writing and I'm thinking, well, this is going to be, I'm going to be way better in the future. Then it's like that moment with that piece is less. So yeah, I guess it's just that balance of like, but more so than anything, I'm open and I'm excited. I'm excited to like, that's why I'm having these talks and I'm doing these things because I'm excited to grow and I'm excited to be able to look back and have no negative feelings on past thoughts. But I can already look back on when I was, you know, becoming a person. Things on, pa- on the past um, is a, that's a high bar to set. <laughs> um, I mean, don't you think that with the the writing, that the thought of oh, I'm going to be writing something so much better in the future. I mean, to me, I try to always, when writing philosophy, I just try to push those thoughts out of mind because they mm-hmm. can. So you have to poisonous of what what you're currently doing. Yeah, I, I try to just get them out. <laughs> I, I mean, sure. I don't, I don't think that's what you had in mind. But for me, if I'm judging what I'm doing against an ideal of how much better it could be in the future, then um, it just becomes impossible, really, to write. <laughs> yeah, that is the problem with being a okay. writer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how do you get around that? You just got to, like I said, at a certain point, I just have to be like, you know what? I've accrued everything and I'm going to accrue in this moment. And I have made the decision to create something with what I have. And I'm just going to own that instead of doing less better because I think that it'll be better in the future. And I usually can get past that, but but it's still there sometimes, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you... If you didn't write the thing that you were writing at the moment, you would never get to a point in the future where you would be any better as well. Precisely, yes. And that is the most important thing to think of. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for talking. Thank you. I appreciate it a lot. Um, I hope we can talk in the future when things are drastically different. (laughs) Sure, yeah.